No, no, no. I, we can't just fucking breeze past this. You have to tell us more about it. Radio Drone. Welcome to the final part of our Stephen King retrospective. We look at his television work. I am Josh Hadley. As you could hear there, Peter is with me. Somewhat. Barely. He's barely conscious, but he's, he'll make, he'll make, he'll make words that might form sentences. And Just like the Stephen King uh, TV specials. To a degree, yes. And Cecil is here as well. I am here as well. So before we get into this, you guys know the routine. Go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. We spent the last couple of weeks looking at all of the movies based on Stephen King's works. Well, he didn't just work in the field of film. A lot of his works also came to television, and he has a far different ratio of hits to misses when it comes to television. When you hear Stephen King TV, what do you think? Well, the first and most obvious one to come to thought is It, seeing as that was originally a four-parter that ended up becoming a two-parter that ended up becoming a, what is it, two-hour movie uh, that was uh, for home distribution. And that one I have fond memories of when it comes to the first part, not so much for the second part with the adults. But that's probably the most shining memory I have. The other things, the other memories I have of, like, the the Shining miniseries, not not so great when it comes to fond memories when it comes to that one. It's like... Uh, for the most part, the Stephen King TV stuff is pretty forgettable, in my opinion, other than when it comes to It, which has a lot of really memorable stuff in it. Pretty much the same thing. Uh, it, with first half of It, is quite good, uh, especially for a, a made-for-television miniseries, uh, which his later ones... Meh. Tim Curry's performance in that, it just really set the bar. And while I did very much enjoy the new one, there was just there's something about his performance that just was uh, exceeded the material that he was working with. Not the book material, but the television material. This was uh, really not good. Uh, with the second half, they, they just failed so bad with the adults and uh, I thought that the kids much like the new movie the kids that they had in there Jonathan Brandis and all them just delivered an outstanding uh, array of performances and it was shocking with how good it was like i don't think anybody was really expecting uh it to be now not saying that it is the greatest thing ever especially going back and watching it uh, a little bit now it's not quite as scary as it was back in 1990 but tim curry's performance is still terrific and uh but a lot of the other uh stephen king made for tv um adaptations they kind of go from like bad to worse well, I think you guys are also misremembering the It miniseries a little bit. It's not structured the way the movies, the, the new movie is with the children and then the adults. It's structured with the adults scattered about and then the children yeah. appear as flashbacks. So it's not, it's not like the first two, the first night event was children and the second night was adults. It, you, you can't really play it the well, same yeah, it way was you scattered. did. Movies. It was done in a very non-linear kind of way. Yeah. Um, I've seen, I don't know if somebody had edited it this way, but I know that I've seen a version where it's entirely the kids stuff and then it's the adult stuff right after. But the one I have on DVD is like the two hour version where it's, it's all scattered around. Yeah. It was originally a four hour mini series. So although commercial yeah. is probably closer to three. The first time Stephen King worked in television, now I'm going to look at just his, the works directly based on his, his works that are mini series. And then after that, we'll look at when he would write an episode of someone else's show. But the first one would be Salem's Lot, directed by Toby Hooper in 1979 from his 1975 novel. Salem's Lot, I loved the book. And I remember everybody when I was growing up, my dad, my uncle, everybody would always tell me how scary it was. 
and then I rented it. What I didn't understand at the time was this was a four-hour TV miniseries that the version I rented was the edited down to 90 minutes movie version, Mm -hmm. and that was awful. When I finally saw the TV miniseries version years later, because that wasn't available on video at the time, those kids floating out the window and scratching at the door, that is f***ing creepy for 1979. I can only imagine how creepy that was to TV audiences in 79. I think Salem's Lot is definitely one of the best. Like, I really thoroughly enjoyed it and watched it again recently, and it's still really creepy. The Hopefully the miniseries. Uh, yeah, you know, I saw the extended, yeah, the miniseries, the whole thing, and very much enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I think I may, uh, probably in the 90s, I, like you, saw the two-hour, you know, condensed version, and I did not like it at all, and was like, this stinks. I remember being it. actively angry, because I had just read the book before I rented it. We're eight minutes into the movie and 250 pages into the book. What the hell? Yeah, it just <laughs> blew past a lot of stuff, so I, I didn't like that but then i saw the the extended you know the the real version and really enjoyed it i thought that the uh the the vampire in it was incredibly uh, creepy looking uh there's long fingernails and just the the teeth and just they did a really good job with it and it kind of reminded me there was a um a vampire on uh an old like uh bbc show that it kind of reminded me of it was just so creepy a good step out hey here's the first stephen king tv movie and it was legitimately good and then it just seems like you know they've been kind of going down ever since but i thought it it was at least a good start it was a very good solid start i keep forgetting that was a stephen king thing or even a tv movie but yeah that one's actually pretty solid from what i remember of it it's been quite some time since i've seen it but anytime i ever hear the name i remember that uh that creepy vampire that looks a lot like uh nosferatu i i like that one at least in terms of what i remember i like it well and then stephen king he he did work in tv in the 80s but like i said i'll get to that stuff later then in 1990 we have the it miniseries which we've already kind of talked about so i'll breeze past that and then in 1991 they have sometimes they come back I remember seeing this one. Again, I didn't see this one on TV. I saw this one on video. And I remember this one was just, this was just a TV movie. So it wasn't a miniseries. But even then, it felt padded as hell. Then finding out that the short story is only like 17 pages and you go, yeah, they were really trying to film 90 minutes. And sometimes <laughs> they come back as the weird distinction. I can't think of another made-for-TV movie that has direct-to-video sequels to it. That makes it kind of unique. I've actually never seen that one. Uh, I saw the first, uh, they, sometimes they come back. And I haven't seen it in a very long time, but I remember thinking it was okay. I kind of, I like the concept of it a lot. I like the way that they do it. I remember liking the cast, but, uh, I don't yes, remember. Tim Matheson, and he's always charismatic as hell. Oh yeah. But, uh, I just remember like it, they just kept flashing back to the, uh, the tunnel with the, the train and the car. And I thought it was neat. Uh, I have not seen any of the sequels, but I remember the covers vividly because I thought the covers were really neat with the, uh, the hand and stuff and the fire and, and all that. I thought that that was kind of neat, but it wasn't enough. Wasn't doesn't need enough to get me to rent them <laughs> but uh i i remember liking it uh thinking that it was okay well and then also in 1991 we have a tv series that lasted i think 10 episodes stephen king's golden years i never saw an episode of this one so i'm just gonna pass that was a show with uh kid fred savage that was the no, one, that, that was... was the wonder years <laughs> oh i'm gonna That's take it that means thinking. you haven't no. seen this one either no i haven't seen the golden years I watched the first episode and was like, nope. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it was seven episodes and, uh, okay. I, I just watched it and was like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. And then, uh, <laughs> I didn't watch the rest of them. It was a little soap opera y. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't mind trying to revisit it. Uh, I just, I remember watching the first episode and just being like, nah, but it's, it sounds, uh, it sounds interesting enough. I might, mm-hmm. uh, I might check it out. Well, then, nothing in 1992, and then in 1993, we have The Tommyknockers. I loved this novel, although, like most Stephen King stories, it really craps the bat at the end, because Stephen King can never seem to get a satisfying ending. I remember watching the first half of The Tommyknockers, the first night of it, because it was a two-night miniseries, and after that, going, yeah, I don't need this to see the second half, and I have subsequently seen 
like part parts in the trailer from the second half, and I'm like, I gave up at a good point. I remember this being very, very green, because green light is a big thing in the Tommy Knockers, and being very, very TV miniseries. And also, Tracy Lords is in it, and she can fucking die in rotten hell. So, Tommy oh, Knockers, God. no. I was kind of the opposite in a sense. Uh, I had seen the, the, uh, trailers for it or the commercials or whatever. And I was like, Ooh, Mark Helgenberger. Ooh, Tracy Lords, uh, Stephen King. I'm going to watch this. And, um, I watched the whole thing and it stunk. <laughs> like the end, they're flying around in a UFO. Like it had a really <laughs> badly CG'd UFO, oh, by the way. Oh my God. It's so bad. I'm sure clips of it are on YouTube. It's really bad. Like they're pulling their teeth out because the aliens, uh, they, 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 all their teeth fell out. I forget what it was, but it's just, uh, it, the, I'm sure the book is, is better. But, uh, the, the TV series was not good. And, and it's a shame because again, uh, I, you know, it had Jimmy Smith in it. It had, uh, Robert Carradine, Joanna Cassidy, Clifton Young. There were good, competent actors in it. And I remember them really trying, but, uh, I just remember it was undone by how silly it felt and, uh, the bad CG and, uh, just again being extended into, uh, this, this monumental, uh, two-parter that really didn't need to be yeah tommy knockers is uh not good tommy knockers is a pile of jabroni trash next we go to 1994's the stand i need to give a little history to this one this was not supposed to be a tv miniseries george romero was trying to turn this into a movie in the early mm. 1990s and it never got off the ground although it is an eight-hour miniseries and it's like a thousand page book so i don't know if making a single movie out of the stand would have been a good idea it couldn't have been as bad as Mick Garris's The Stand. The Stand is a great idea with a fantastic, amazing cast who all give it their all, but this did not need to be eight hours long, and my God, they did not have the budget for eight hours. Jamie Sheridan is great as Randall Flagg. Joe Bob Briggs is in it as Deputy Joe Bob. That's kind of cool, but the, the, the Stand just, it didn't work the way it should have. I haven't actually seen this one. It's kind of post-apocalyptic. Okay, no, it's not post-apocalyptic. It's post-a viral plague, and you got, like, Miguel Ferrar and Rob Lowe, and uh, I think Molly Ooh. Ringwald's in it, and it's got an amazing cast to it, and it's eight freaking hours long. Oh, man. Heard of it, but I didn't know the cast was as solid as it was, so maybe I'll I'll check it out at some point. I, I don't understand the, that at the time, Stephen King movies were still profitable and i can't fathom why they would opt to uh make this a tv series now the thing is what i'm kind of hoping now because it being such a hit now you know king is just uh you know renegotiating rights all over the place but i i genuinely hope that we get you know a proper stand series so i mean if he goes to like HBO, or if they do it as like a, a, I know that he wants to do a four part movie series. All right, fine. You know, you feel the need to make it that long. If it's that how, if that's how long it needs to be, it's how the long it needs like to be. The book's like over a thousand pages. Oh, the book is, is just ridiculously long. But I think that, uh, you know, there also needs to be like, a certain amount of trimming like there's you don't need to bring over every single thing so i think if you could probably squeeze it into like three movies probably you know if you really wanted to do like maybe two two and a half hour movies or something but hollywood i'm sure is going to try to squeeze as much out of it and make like three or four movies but um the the tv movie it just was over long it's a shame because like you said the cast is ridiculous like the cast is just insane gary sinise molly ringwald uh ozzy davis miguel ferrer Corin nemi Matt Frewer, uh, freaking Ray Walston, Rob Lowe, um, Joe Bob Briggs, Joe Bob Briggs, Shawnee Smith, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for crying out loud. I mean, John Landis, just Sam Raimi, just everybody's in this movie. And I guess they needed to because it's so goddamn long. I think that uh, they they wanted to make it just this big over the top thing. But number one, they didn't have the budget, and number two, it was made for TV, so you you didn't have the money to make it look all as good as it should have and you didn't have the ability to make it look as good as you could have because it was made for tv so there's a lot of stuff that you can't do especially in 1994 television so uh it just it failed on all counts i mean it's not 
the worst thing ever. There are parts of it that are very good, but overall, as a eight-hour catastrophe, it's uh, it's hard to really watch. I mean, you could maybe watch it in chunks, but uh, I can't see really watching this, uh, you know, or I could see fast forwarding through a lot of it, quite frankly. Which is what a lot of us did to 1995, the Langoliers. The Langoliers, to me, it fails for two specific reasons. Three, technically. It's a great idea that's not handled right. It's also drug way out too long. Some of the worst CGI I have ever seen on television for the title Langoliers. And Bronston Pinchon is in a different fucking movie than the rest of the cast. David Morris and Dean Stockwell and everybody are given a real performance, and then Bronson Pinchon's scaring the little girl! (laughs) Oh my god, the Langoliers. I don't know if he was told to act like that, or if the director Tom Holland just didn't want to stop him, because he wrecks anything that could be considered tension in this movie. He is a living cartoon character in a Stephen King movie. I don't know what the hell they were thinking. I remember renting Langoliers when I was like 17, and yeah, I remember that over-the-top performance, and that's probably the only thing I remember from it. Uh, other than that, it's pretty forgettable, and I don't think I've ever seen it since. I think that, like, I don't have a particular problem. I believe it's Prin- uh, Bronson Pinchow is how it's like supposed to be pronounced after that performance he doesn't deserve a proper pronunciation well see the thing is here's what i i I think when you've got somebody like him i don't have a problem with him i like balky when you're putting him in a movie with dean stockwell and david morse he's not on that level and i think that maybe they were trying to push him to be a little bit more over the top to compete because, you know, you're, you're just, you're not going to be able to act, you know, those guys are going to act rings around you. So I think that maybe that was it. But yeah, the Langoliers. Oh God. I just, uh, I, I remember uh, at the time there were, uh, people were just flipping out because it's like, even as terrible as these were, people were still watching them and they always had like ridiculous amounts of viewers. So that's why they kept making them. And, but they always came out and they always stunk. But every time people would watch them and I had all these folks that I knew that were, Oh my God, it was, did you see the Langoliers last night? It was, it was so great. And I'm like, Oh God, this was awful. I don't know. Like, I think the, uh, again, the concept was really good. I would like to read the book, but, um, the, the movie just, uh, the TV miniseries movie, whatever, was uh, another not good one. Well, then that also happened in 1997. Stephen King hated what Stanley Kubrick did to The Shining. So he decided he was going to produce a proper version of The Shining in 1997. And it's god-awful. I remember, and remember, I didn't like Kubrick's The Shining. And I'm like, no, I'll take Kubrick's The Shining over this piece of trash. Oh, my God. I remember talking to people about this one before I saw it, and they were like, oh, you, you like Kubrick's version? The, the, the made-for-TV special or whatever, it was so much better. And I was like, okay, fine. And I had all this hype um, from these, uh, it was like a horror community or something I was part of at the time. And everybody else was being a real snob about uh, comparing Stephen King's movie stuff to the TV stuff. And a lot of them had this real up-their-own-ass up, up their own ass attitude about the TV show. But anyway, I went and saw the made-for-TV one, and all I remember is that it was boring, like just painfully, painfully boring. I barely remember anything about it. I just remember not being able to wait until it was done. It was just just fucking dull. I don't know if it was because I never read The Shining. I know it's obviously different from the the Kubrick movie. I know there's a lot of a lot of changes made to it. Uh, I know it, it ends differently. I know he I know he doesn't use an axe, and it's like um it's like a, a croquet mallet or something. I just, I didn't like it. I, I thought the, the made for TV one was really, really dull and it didn't really bring anything to the table. And if it was, if it was accurate to the book, maybe I don't want to read the book. See, this is why I always say that Stephen King is really good. I, I'd say after, I mean, as much as I did enjoy, um, Maximum Overdrive, but, uh, at a certain point, he started sniffing his own farts and really genuinely believes like what he tells himself. Like he is going to compare the shining with the, the original uh, adaptation. Now, granted, it is a very loose adaptation. They do make a lot of changes. But uh, the TV miniseries that he's so proud of and it's so good and we don't understand the brilliance that just stop. Just stop it. It's garbage. You're you're not going to be able to compare it. I mean, you look again. I like Steven Weber. 
I think that he's really good on wings, but I could not take him seriously in this, uh, especially him kind of parroting and trying to do a, uh, a Jack Nicholson impersonation. Uh, the whole thing just, uh, it really stunk. I was, uh, I was pretty annoyed. I, I did not like it. And I like McGarris. Uh, I think that uh, this, there were more problems here than, um, his, his trying to direct it. I think that there was just maybe, maybe King was, uh, interfering and uh, who knows, but the whole thing just uh, is not particularly good. It's, it's directed fine, but again, Mick Harris, who I do like, is no Kubert. Well, and then in 1997, we also got a remake of Maximum Overdrive. See, Maximum Overdrive was based on the 1978 short story Trucks. They decided to actually make the short story Trucks into a movie, which is also Maximum Overdrive. For an unknown reason, vehicles start to come alive. They start to torment people at a rest stop with that's combined with a gas station. The people end up fighting back. Some die, and they escape through a sewage tunnel. It's Maximum Overdrive made for TV, and I remember it being really bad. And as much as Emilio Estevez might have been a joke in Maximum Overdrive, Timothy Busfield just cannot pull this off. I have always wanted to just to see it, but I never have. I, I would always like forget about it. So uh, one of these days I'll have to uh, to to check it out. I mean, if it was on if it was on Netflix or Amazon or something, if it was just easily accessible, I would probably watch it later tonight or something. But I always just uh, oh yeah, I gotta watch that and then just forget about it. When did that one come out? 1997. I don't know if I've seen the the box art anywhere. Um, I had heard that they made a a readaptation and that I wasn't sure if it was like a maximum o- maximum overdrive thing, but I imagine it it doesn't have any ACDC or Emilio Estevez in it. So I think I'm gonna pass. Well, then in 1997 we got this is not not even movie really, but Quicksilver Highway. This was actually in a TV pilot Fox passed on. What had a story by Stephen King and a story by Clive Barker in it. It was an hour-long special. The TV pilot part was going to be Christopher Lloyd is kind of a goth guy. He's got the makeup and the spiked hair and the collar and looks ridiculous since it's Christopher Lloyd. And he travels around the country collecting strange stories along the Quicksilver Highway. It wasn't good. I don't know why they chose Chattery Teeth from Stephen King, one of his dumbest stories, and The Body Politic from Clive Barker, one of his weirder stories about Matt Frewer's hands coming to life and wanting independence, so they keep trying to cut each other off because hands are coming alive and becoming independent across the world. And it's a weird Clive Barker story. Did either of you see Quicksilver Highway, which is, like I said, technically a TV pilot? Um, this one doesn't sound, doesn't sound familiar at all. Stop adapting Stephen King stuff. At least the random stuff. There's just too, there's too much Stephen King shit. And we're not even halfway through this goddamn episode. Oh, dude, True. we are in for it. I mean, seriously, they have just it's announced. It's going to keep getting worse. Well, I, I kind of hope that we at least get a few good ones out there. But I have a feeling like we'll probably get like, I think this the next it will be good. But then like they'll just start adapting like all over the place. And we're just going to get a ton of crap. But the thing is, they'll have already bought the rights to it. So they're going to insist on making them. So it's going to be the next superhero craze. Yeah, you know, the next, this, like, extended universe thing. But in 1998, did you know that India produced a miniseries of It called Woha? Really? <laughs> yeah, I saw some clips online. Oh, my wow. God. Wow. It's, first of all, there's no budget. Okay, it's how do you spell that? W-O-H. Please tell me there's a song and dance number. There probably is. It's India. Yes, but I know. I saw some clips on YouTube and went, holy crap. 19, 1998 or 1999? 1998. Okay. Just, just type ready, in so. W-O-H it. Oh my God. Something it's like 52 episodes. <laughs> it's a TV. It's horrifyingly bad. Oh, so since you, none of us have seen wonderful. that, none of us have seen that, well, you can look at the YouTube clips later. Let's record the episode now. So <laughs> then in 1999, we got Storm of the Century. No, no, no. I, we can't just fucking breeze past this. You have to tell us more about it. <laughs> yeah. We, I don't yeah. know much more about it. I watched a couple of clips and went, holy crap. Okay. Well, ease us into it. Tell us it's, about some of the clips at least. Cause there are certainly Bollywood. people listening to this that have never heard the, uh, it's a Bollywood version of it pretty much. I, I'd, I'd like to hear about it. I, I want more. You I will look us, on YouTube later. We I'm only have this in the Dark Tower. We're moving on. All right. Oh, you're a bastard. <laughs> 
1999, we got Storm of the Century, which I can only cop to having seen half of. The first night was so boring, I never came back for the second night. So the first half I saw was dull as hell. Well, then in 2002, we got Rose Red, which is essentially the haunting of Hill House done with psychic children. And I remember Rose Red just, no, this was not very good. I have not seen it, but uh, I actually have somebody, one of my patrons, who had uh, requested I do a, you know, a, a video on it, and so I was like, I need to, you know, see it again before I can agree whether or not I'm going to do it. So I, I, it's on my list of things to check out, but uh, I have not seen Rose Red. It's like four hours or something, isn't it? And then in 2002, something weird happened. The USA Network premiered The Dead Zone, a, a readaptation of obviously, you know, the Cronenberg movie and the novel. And The Dead Zone broke records. It was the highest rated cable premiere of all time. And remember, this is a show no one wanted. ABC turned down The Dead Zone. The WB turned down The Dead Zone. HBO turned down The Dead Zone. USA didn't even want to air it. They picked it up just kind of as a cast-off, and then it becomes the biggest cable premiere of all time. I bet the executives at ABC, HBO, and the WB went, well, shit. Because I actually thought when Michael Piller was still running The Dead Zone, that was a great show. You can almost tell to the episode where Michael Piller died. It becomes ridiculous, and they start adding more and more sci-fi elements, and then all of a sudden the main character starts using his Dead Zone powers to solve crimes, and he becomes, it, it just, man, Michael Piller was why the early Dead Zone seasons were. Those last three seasons were god-awful. Am I wrong that when Michael Piller left, you could see the quality dip dramatically? Oh, yeah, it started off, like, all guns blazing. The first few seasons were phenomenal. I mean, Anthony Michael Hall was amazing. Like, it, like that was one of those things where it's like, okay, maybe thing is to do it as a TV series and not as a miniseries, and you might be able to do a Stephen King uh, material right. Sean Patrick Flannery was almost as good as Martin Sheen as Greg Stilson. Oh, yeah. Like, it was, like, terrific. Like, the Dead Zone TV series, because it, it's been a while since I've seen it. I don't know, uh, I'd say the first, what, three seasons? Michael Piller died in the middle of season two, and, like I said, you could see the drop-off okay. drop immediately. Well, I would say, like, then the first two seasons, like, the first season, without question, is is absolutely worth your time. It's so unbelievably good. And then season two, I remember season two being good. I remember season three, and I think that was around when I actually stopped watching it. So, uh, you know, I can't really comment on the ones after that, but uh, I definitely at the very least watch the first season. The first season is phenomenal. I mean, if if the if you watch it and the pilot doesn't get you, then I don't know what to tell you because it's really good. I think I watched at least two and a half seasons of it, uh, most of it, like here and there, because I've never really watched a lot, of, a lot of TV. But that one I got into because I really liked the movie, and I was pretty fascinated by how much of a badass Anthony Michael Hall turned into, because I remembered him from Breakfast Club, and then I saw him all grown up, and I was like, hey, wow, this guy actually looks like a f***ing hard-ass now. Uh, he even had, like, a bit of a Steve McQueen look to him, which was, um, that in itself was kind of jarring. He had become this completely different actor, and he was very good in it. From what I have seen of it, I think that would be one of the more, I'd say, impressive made-for-TV uh, Stephen King things, because Dead Zone was actually a very good show. It was very well done, very well acted, at least from what I saw, because I hadn't watched the, the whole thing. Um, I, I hadn't seen where it left off from, but I enjoyed it, and I really liked uh, Anthony Michael Hall's uh, performance. Isn't it kind of funny that, it's, that the show Nobody Wanted is the one that breaks all the records, though? Yeah. <laughs> Hmm. Well, it's a really good concept. I mean, Dead Zone is is a great premise that if you get the right actors together and, and the right, like, style and, and format for it, it can work really, really well. Because it was a, a fantastic film, and it was a really, really good show that even even still has a really good potential and could still work if you were to, to do it again. What I find kind of funny is these the same net, the same network executives watched that pilot and went, nah, this won't be a hit. <laughs> these are the people who are still deciding what shows we get and don't get people yeah how many seasons did it go for five seasons yeah so it did pretty friggin well like five seasons obviously the studio executives had no idea what they were talking about i i watched a lot of it definitely 
a dedicated watch of the first two, and then just kind of every now and then when I'd be, you know, flipping through channels, I would watch. I'd watch it whenever it was on. Somebody must have thought after the Dead Zone broke records, we got to get another TV series, another Stephen King TV series out quick. Do either of you remember the 2002 TV movie of Carrie? I'm not talking about the Rage Carrie 2 or, or or the the newer one. I'm talking the 2002 miniseries. Do either of you remember that one? Uh, I remember it, but I never saw it like until like i mean i saw a little bit of it when i was working on um, an episode a while ago where i was talking about carrie and uh, i had a lot of people bringing it up so a lot of people did see it and a lot of people apparently said that it was pretty good but it was kind of a weird half remake half sequel because remember this is when all the csi shows and all this were huge it's a crime investigation pilot. It starts with, after the events of the movie, the cops trying to figure out what happened, and then flashbacks to the events of the movie scattered about. So it's a fucking police procedural they tried with Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. And then it was meant to be a pilot because they changed the ending to give Carrie more stories of her ro roaming around the country, kind of running from the law. Literally, they tried to turn Carrie into a TV show and it didn't work. Uh, I, I think they had re-released it as like uh, they cut it down into a movie because I didn't watch it when it was the miniseries version of it. But I do remember that one. I remember what the actress looked like. And it was it was definitely better than the Hit Girl remake I found, even if it was like a because at least that was kind of different that it was like a, a procedural crime drama CSI kind of thing. They were doing something a bit different with Carrie. I, I found that one a lot better than the um, the the remake in the later 2000s that would come out. It, it wasn't bad. Well, and then remember how I said rose red was kind of dull somebody decided it wasn't dull enough they decided to give a prequel to why the house was haunted the diary of ellen rimbauer because that's what we needed a mini series that gave us a period piece backstory to an already boring story i didn't watch this one no diary of this is boring next well then we go to 2004's kingdom hospital this one is weird so this one requires some backstory this is a Stephen King original, in quotes, because it's him bringing Lars von Trier's Danish miniseries, The Kingdom, over to America. But he changed so much, it's almost, it's barely an adaptation. And the thing with Kingdom Hospital was ABC promoted this huge as Stephen King creating an original series for ABC. Problem was, nobody wanted to watch it. It's actually quite good, though. But, I mean, ratings were in the toilet. So what happened was ABC wanted to cancel it. But Stephen King's not an idiot. He had it written into his contract. They had to air all 13 episodes. ABC decided to go, oh, yeah? It doesn't say we have to air them in a timely fashion. It took a year and two months to air 13 one-hour episodes. ABC would air about three episodes, and then it would be gone for four months. They would air two more. It'd be gone a couple of months and so forth. ABC didn't want this show, and if you actually watched them all, it was pretty good. I remember it, but uh, I have not seen it. I have not seen it. Well, then in 2004, TNT was, again, this was a backdoor pilot miniseries. They readapted Salem's Lot with Rob Lowe in the lead role and Rudger freaking Hauer as the vampire Barlow now, along with Samantha Mathis and, you know, a bunch of other low, lower level names. I really liked the 2004 Salem's Lot. I, I hate to say it, but TNT did a pretty damn good job. I wasn't happy with the last 10 minutes where completely changed it to leave it open for a TV series with Rob Lowe roaming around the country hunting for the vampires that escape. That was all the TV series set up. I really liked Salem's Lot 2004. Blasphemy, I know. I didn't even know that had come out. Rudger Hauer is the vampire, you say? I do. Well, then I'll have to check this one out. Well, then in 2006, we got Desperation with Ron Perlman as a crazy town sheriff beating up Tom Skerritt and some other people. This was a three-hour TV movie, so I have a feeling this was a miniseries that they cut down. This was a three-hour TV movie, and all I remember was Ron Perlman's charisma cannot save how overly padded this thing is. And also, his character is supposed to be yet another incantation of Randall Flagg, a.k.a. the Man in Black, but then that was retconned, so it wasn't, so this is technically a Dark Tower 
prequel but isn't. Then we go to A&E. They decided to do... No, this one is, is not a miniseries in the traditional sense. It was a legitimate miniseries. It was an anthology show of eight episodes based on Stephen King's stories in Nightmares and Dreamscapes. I remember watching all eight of these and thinking, just like most, most anthologies... Some were good, some were not. It's hit and miss like most anthology shows. Again, there's too much Stephen King shit. I think I saw like a couple of the, cause it wasn't, um, cause each one was self-contained, right? Yeah, yeah, it was a straight anthology show. I'm pretty sure I've seen like one or two of them, but I honestly don't, cause the name seems really familiar, but I don't remember really much about it at all, so it couldn't have been uh, that, uh, that good. Then in 2009, we have a remake of Children of the Corn, which I couldn't get more than 10 minutes into this thing. It was so bad. And, and Cecil, if you remember from our Children of the Corn retrospective, I didn't even like the original very much. So a terrible remake is not going to grab my attention. When the hell did that happen? <laughs> I just said 2009. I, I know, but when? Why? How? I, I never heard of it. And then in 2010, five-season TV show that's technically a Stephen King series called Haven. It's been said to be so loosely based on the novel The Colorado Kid, barely qualifies as a Stephen King adaptation, but I've never even heard of Haven before doing research for this episode. Did either of you ever see this show? This I've must have been the time when I really wasn't watching any TV at all. I've seen a lot of ads for it. <laughs> but I've never actually seen it. I didn't, uh, until you said it, I did not know that it was uh, a Stephen King joint. Well, then in 2011, this one I'm just going to have to pass on. I've never seen Bag of Bones, which was, I believe, a, an A&E TV movie, but I've never seen Bag of Bones. This is the worst retrospective ever. <laughs> kind of. Then we come to the three-season Under the Dome on ABC. Oh, I w one that I actually like and watched. I can actually. Oh, I watched one. the pilot. I watched the pilot episode and went, "I'm done." Really? No. Oh, uh, I'm like, this is. Good. And then my, my my mom regularly watched this, so I would, ca I would catch you know bits and pieces here and there. It got more and more ridiculous as it went on with the religious stuff, and then aliens are involved, and then maybe the apocalypse outside the. D and it just kept That's getting more cool, ridiculous. Though. It was it was really over the top. Like I actually liked it a lot. I I followed it from from the start, and it was actually because of my mom. My mom suggested it because her and I are both kind of. This like, is a mom um, show, I guess. I, I, maybe it is. I don't know, but her and I are both like into Stephen King and kind of thrillery, horror, sci-fi type stuff. So when she finds out about something, she tells me about it. And I, when I find out about something, I tell her. So she recommended Under the Dome. And I don't know. I liked it. There was something kind of, kind of over the top and weird and, and sort of fun about it. And I, I liked the religious angles. I liked that it was this town that was like isolated from everybody else because there's this like transparent dome around it. Found, and then in uh, season three, it becomes falling skies. Kind of. Um, but I didn't, uh, I haven't, actually haven't watched season three of it yet. I've watched the first two and really, really liked it. And I still have to get to, get to season three. I, I really enjoyed, uh, Under the Dome, Under the Dome a lot. And I, I completely, I, I didn't think we were going to get to that one for some reason. Cause for whatever reason, I forgot that it was a, a Stephen King thing. But, Stephen um, King even wrote the season two premiere. But yeah, I, I like that one. I, I think you're taking it a, a little too seriously and you should just sort of see it as more, it's, it's schlock. It's a total schlock show. Um, and I really like it for that. It's just everybody's taking it, this material that's clearly very, very cheesy and very corny and almost like Roger Cormany at times. Um, but they're all playing it dead straight. And I think that makes it uh, perfect schlock. Uh, I have all 39 episodes on my TiVo and I've been meaning to watch them. And no. <laughs> <laughs> The fact that you still have a TiVo. Oh, TiVo. Oh, <laughs> you shut up. TiVo's awesome. TiVo's never let me down. Then in 2014, we have Big Driver, which was a TV movie that is more or less a rape-revenge kind of movie. And Now, I've never read the novel for this one, but the movie, it just felt so... Honestly, this felt like a Lifetime movie to me. It felt like a Lifetime movie that had some Stephen King elements thrown into it. Have either of you seen Big Driver? No. Big Driver? Big Driver, yes. No. A, 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 a big uh, tow truck driver rapes a woman, and she decides to get revenge and starts stalking him. No, no, I haven't seen that one. That one's based on a on a book? St uh, 2010 novella. Okay. No, no, I, I haven't even heard of that one. Well, then we have uh, this one. I'm counting 
internet as TV here. We have 112263, where James Franco goes back to try and stop JFK from being assassinated. And Stephen King needs to leave these kind of stories alone, because again, I don't know how much from the original story. I watched the first episode of this and went, fuck you. Oh man, I was, I was really on a roll with Under the Dome, and now I have no idea what you're talking about anymore again. God damn it. Well, then we go to, remember how last week I loved The Mist? Mm-hmm. Somebody decided that's, this needs to be a really god-awful TV show. The Mist, which thankfully just got canceled on Spike TV. I watched the pilot and went, what did you do? <laughs> you took one of Stephen King's best adaptations ever, and you made it horrible. The mist was so bad, and from what I've heard, it keeps getting worse. They actually have a demon in that controls the mist, that talks to people through their minds, and the, the, the characters are so unlikable. You keep going, why can't you die tonight? I remember I was actively angry at how bad the mist was. I considered checking it out, but God, the movie was so good that I didn't really see any point, And I didn't really see a reason why this was a concept that needed to be a show. Like, there are things that work really well. The Dead Zone, you can do episodically. Under the Dome, you can do really well episodically. You can have episode after episode of trying to figure out what they're going to do in this you know, confined space and trying to uh, communicate with the rest of the world. And the Dome will do something different. Like, you can do that episode per episode. This, I really didn't see a point. The Mist is a perfect sort of mysterious monster movie alien kind of plot. And you can wrap it up very easily in two hours or under. That's the reason why I didn't check it out, because I really feel like this didn't need to be a show right before it came out uh there were some people that uh, i think didn't they like premiere it early or some nonsense and uh there were some people who i i know that had seen it and they were just talking about how it was infested with all kinds of like social justice nonsense that didn't really need to be there now Not i understand great. the original uh short story and then even in the movie to a certain degree they had like elements of like uh you know theology and religion and all that that was in there but with this mm. it was like they were you know, they had, uh, all these different characters that just were really irritating and you're, like, you're, you're supposed to identify with them, but you hate them. And, uh, I, like, from everything that they were telling me, now normally I do like to check things out for myself to, you know, I don't always, you know, agree with people because, uh, I go back and, ah, you know what, that wasn't really that bad. But the, I mean, I had heard this from numerous people and I, I don't, I, I, I don't even know if I get Spike anymore because we canceled a lot of our cable stuff because we just we weren't watching any of it why are we going to pay for it if we barely watch you know end up watching just netflix and amazon and stuff so i never really got around to it and even like if it was available to download or stream or something i might have like thrown it on just to check out but no i never did and uh it uh, i just heard from the people who did see it they just said it started off bad and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse and i didn't want to see something that i love i mean i think that the short story is great and i think that the uh, durabont adaptation is is just incredible and i think that doing that and filtrating it through this lens of garbage is just not something i really want to waste my time with which is how i kind of look at the mr mercedes show i haven't seen this one yet i watched the trailer and went I don't know. I, I don't like Stephen King do trying to do a serial killer thing with playing with the cops and maybe there's a supernatural. I don't know. The Mr. Mercedes trailer didn't do anything to me. On the other hand, Gerald's Game just came out, which I haven't had a chance to see yet, but I keep hearing how fantastic Gerald's Game is. I have not seen Mr. Mercedes and Gerald's Game. It's Mike Flanagan who has knocked everything out of the park that he's done. Even Ouija 2, Origin of Evil, a movie that nobody wanted, and he somehow took that and made it really good. So I am absolutely looking forward to seeing it. Uh, if if I would have had time, I probably would have watched it tonight. If I can, I'm going to try to watch it uh, tomorrow or at least sometime this week before uh, everyone on the internet ruins it. But then he wrote, Stephen King wrote episodes of other people's shows. For instance, he wrote for Taylor from the dark side was adapted to the word processor of the god story do either of you remember that one where a computer becomes super intelligent and we're talking 1983 computers becoming super intelligent well word processor of the gods well i mean that was based off of his short story but right. it was it wasn't that the computer was like super powerful it was that the guy had this word processor and whatever he typed in it 
would happen. And uh, the the Tales from the Dark Side, they did a pretty decent adaptation of it from what I remember. Because, like, as he would use it more and more, it, it started to, like, die on him. So he wanted to, like, get in as much as he could before it just completely broke completely. I remembered, uh, I remember the short story being really good, and I remember the Tales from the Dark Side, actually, uh, episode being really good. Yeah, the, uh, that I remember really thoroughly enjoying, uh, and it was, it was a pretty close adaptation to the, uh, the short story. I think they changed like a little bit here and there, but overall, pretty damn good. Very well done. Well, and then also from Tales from the Dark Side, he made an original screenplay for Sorry Right Number, which is actually quite a good episode. My only thing is I could see the plot twist coming three minutes into the episode. I'm like, plot twist will be, and then that's what it turned out to be. But I thought Sorry Right Number was a surprisingly good original story. Well, and then for Monsters, the kind of sequel to Tales from the Dark Side, he did a story called The Moving Finger, and then... He did an episode of The New Twilight Zone in 1986, adapted by Harlan Ellison, who co-directed the episode. Grandma. Just creepy as shit. Even when you watch that Twilight Zone episode today, you get, you get your arms, you, you can feel the hairs on your arms stand up. Ellison did a fantastic job taking the grandma story from Stephen King and really making it creepy. And then he did an Outer Limits episode called the, Re- the Revelations of Rebecca Paulson, which I don't remember. And then he did an X-Files episode, an original one. I remember being so excited. Stephen King is writing for the X-Files when they're at their peak of quality. Which I X-Files episode was it? Chinga in 1998. I seem to remember something about a haunted doll or something. And I uh. remember being so angry at how bad this episode was. That I one went, sounds uh, it sounds familiar. I didn't know it, it was, was terrible. King. It was just awful. I remember, didn't they have a, a, it was like a month, right? Where they had, um, they had William Gibson, William Gibson wrote one, yeah. Stephen King, yeah, they had. The William Gibson one was awful too. I, I kind of like the William Gibson one, but, uh, I, I remember the same thing, being really excited about it. And, uh, I don't remember it all that much, so it couldn't have been that good. I remember well, watching then, it because I watched the X-Files religiously back then, but, uh, I, I really, I, I don't remember anything about it. It's, it, it's so, like I said, it must not have been been particularly memorable then we have two more coming out for some reason and they were probably too far into production to do anything about it hbo is making a tv series out of the dark tower with idris elba and matthew mcconaughey you know the movie's failure is not stopping them apparently hbo is still moving forward i haven't seen the movie yet um it doesn't look stellar i still need to check it out maybe as a show it might work better since this is like God, what is it, like an eight or nine series book that's like connected to almost everything Stephen King has ever written other than like Richard Bachman stuff. Maybe it could be interesting. Um, I don't know if they're going the same exact direction as they went with the movie, but then again, it's meant to taper off into something else and I guess it'll go into a long running thing. So who knows? Maybe the first thing was underwhelming at least in terms of audience reactions to it and what Cecil thought of it and, and what a lot of people thought of it. But maybe as a show, it'll be more fleshed out and maybe it'll be better because the Dark Tower series is really, really interesting. What I've what I've uh, read about it, it's uh, pretty cool. Um, I've read The Gunslinger and I kind of know about the, the other stuff. I would be keen to see it done in a proper way and I feel like it is something that does need to be a show or a long-running series of movies. I mean, it was tailor-made to be like an extended universe kind of thing. So you need a lot of time to flesh it out. It wouldn't just work in one movie. So maybe as a show, it'll actually work a lot better than what we what we got with the first movie. Though I still need to see the first movie. Who knows? Maybe, maybe I might love it, for all I know. Evidently, they were working on this around the time when they were working on the movie they were trying to uh to do the the tv series and they really weren't sharing a lot of cross-pollination between the the movie and the uh the show so i think the show should be well it should do okay the thing is too hbo yo i will give credit where credit's due they almost always will meticulously put things together so they're not going to back something just to back it like they will stick behind a show that maybe doesn't have the best ratings but is critically acclaimed so they're really you know they they live and die on awards so i think that them backing this and really putting a lot of work into it it's probably going to be uh very good and i hope so because my god the movie was awful and um i just found out uh we were talking about this last time uh no 
they will not be releasing the director's cut on DVD. Of course they won't. Because why would you? And then we have a new one that we don't know a whole lot about. Really a Hulu original series called Castle Rock. It's by J.J. Abrams and Bad Robot. All we know is a quick teaser trailer and some statements that J.J. Abrams has made. But apparently it takes place in the fictional town called Castle Rock. And J.J. Abrams said it will specifically touch, that's his word, touch it, Dolores Claiborne, Needful Things, Salem's Lot, Shawshank Redemption, Dreamcatcher, the Green Mile, Misery, Hearts in Atlantis, The Shining, The Mangler, Night Flyer, and a bunch of other ones. And you look at the cast list and you go, Bill Skarsgård is listed on the cast. Well, he played Pennywise in It. Kathy Bates is listed on the cast. You go, oh, she was in Dolores Claiborne and Misery. And you kind of go, what is this? Is this supposed to be like a, a hub where all of Stephen King's crossovers happen? Or what the hell is Castle Rock going to be? Okay, the, another quote from J.J. Abrams was that it combines the mythological scale and intimate character storytelling of King's best-loved works, weaving an epic saga of darkness and light playing out within a few square miles of Maine woodland, unquote. Hey, man. So there's that. The only right. the only one that my mind picked up was Mangler, and I'm so in. I want to see it. I want to see it fighting a, a demonic steam press. It versus Mangler, yes. And, 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 and then uh, Annie Wilkes can try and uh, kneecap it. Yes, she'll be the uh, special guest referee, Madison Square Garden, the Mangler versus it, Pennywise. Yeah. And then maybe maybe the maybe the vampire from Night Flyer, since Miguel Ferrar is dead. <laughs> I don't know what to think about Castle Rock, but it sounds like it could be interesting. It sounds could like it being could the be appropriate a, term. It sounds like it could be a glorious mess. If, if it that ends too. up being bad, it might be so bad that it's good because it's it's trying to take like everything and just colossally throw everything in. So it, it could be really well done, but more realistically, it's probably going to be just bombastic in all the wrong ways and enjoyable in all the right ways. What do you think of Stephen King when it comes to the the at the TV adaptations? Why do you think when the movies worked so much better, he just had such bad luck when it came to TV? Well, it could be product of the times at first. I mean, they were trying to do as as much as they could because in the 80s you had so many good Stephen King adaptations uh, in terms of films that would come out. So they would try to do it on TV. They tried to do it with Salem's Lot, tried to do it with It and a bunch of other ones. They tried to do it with Shining. They, they were just trying to capitalize as much as they possibly could. You know, if it worked on uh, the silver screen, it might work in the home screens as well. And uh, I think over time, we've had far better ones. You know, the the dead zone, as I praised earlier, I love that one a lot. I thought uh, Under the Dome was good. I'm keen to see The Dark Tower. I think with TV the way it is now and it being in a way more cinematic than a lot of films that come out, it's it's almost tailor-made now for those long-running Stephen King stories like The Dark Tower, things of that nature. Like we, we could have something that actually comes out that's pretty cool, especially when you consider some of the more recent stuff. Like, as I said, like, as I said, The Dead Zone and uh, uh, Under the Dome. So maybe in this era of, of TV being as good as it is, you know, the day of uh, you know Breaking Bad and Bad Bad Lieutenant and movies like uh, shows like this that almost feel like really good movies. Maybe this is the time now for those um, those really long ongoing Stephen King stories or you know thousand page ones to be turned into some really solid TV they weren't able to do back in the day. Yeah, I think that uh, it, it's kind of odd the way that uh, they, they've handled it because when the movies were thriving, the TV stuff was just failing. And I think it just was that they wouldn't give it the, the, the budget for one. Well, the budget, yeah, but also like there's just some things you can't do on television. And uh, I mean, you can do it. Now, if you bit on, on AMC or if you do it on HBO or something, but it's taken a long time before you could finally get, uh, like, uh, I would say get away with stuff that, uh, you couldn't previously get away with. Like you're, you're still, you're not going to get away with, uh, with doing a, a legitimate movie on NBC. You know, you're going to, uh, you're going to have to go to, uh, you know, to, to AMC or, or, you know, cable in order to do that. I, I, I would say 
I would say even the Tommyknockers. What I remember from that book was there was a lot of sex. And one of the things that the Tommyknockers radiation does is it kicks your libido in. Mm -hmm. You just can't do that on an NBC miniseries in the 90s. No, you, you can't. And it's just silly to for them to think that they could. I think that at the time, King was just taking money from wherever he could. You know, oh, you want to do this? It's popular? Whatever, you know, and he just was taking money in. And I think recently, which is why he, like, bought the rights back to a lot of things, because he wants to have a little bit... Uh, more control over it hopefully that means that he will give the rights to the right people you know he'll be like okay uh you know well i work really well with durabont so let durabont do uh you know something uh i work really well with john carpenter maybe you know let let carpenter t you know take a take a sh i would love for carpenter to that that would be really great if he was to take any you know pick pick a stephen king book that makes sense and and do a do a carpenter like last movie or something i would be really happy with that just don't start saying i want to crap out more miniseries and more langoliers just to uh to make a buck and make some of the ones that haven't been done already or make the ones that were made poorly and you know give them a shot to make it good kind of like what they did with it so i think that uh, the best thing he can do is to be careful and not flood the market and not just sell his rights all willy-nilly I also want to point out, it's kind of weird when I was looking through all of the TV stuff, he had multiple actors show up two, three times. Like, Rob Lowe was in two different Stephen King adaptations. Matt Frewer was in four. Marg Helgenberger was in three. I don't know if that says something about the adaptations or about the actors. Yeah, that's that Stephen King miniseries actor that's in every other miniseries. So, on that note, Peter, where can people find you not watching Stephen King crappy miniseries? <laughs> you can find me certainly not watching them, uh, especially not part two of the 90s It adaptation on uh, at Twitter, at Cinematica, on Facebook, The Cinemasochist, on YouTube, The Cinemasochist, and on 1201beyond.com, hawking my cheesy wares, my t-shirts, my videos, go buy a friggin' Radiodrome shirt, buy me and Josh a pizza, that's pretty much what it gets us when you buy a shirt get me food you get a shirt you get me food that's how it works couldn't have said it better myself cecil where can people find you who is a little more financially off well off than peter and i who yes yeah, so literally if you guys want to send us free pizza coupons we'll take them <laughs> oh, god that makes me sound like i've got money i, I don't i don't have my, i you have pizza we don't i do have pizza but uh but but it's only elio's pizza so it's not all that great uh yeah i'm not exactly raking in the bucks over here i'm I'm kind of surviving. Uh, I am, I'm doing all right. Anyway, uh, you can find me, uh, eating Elio's pizza and not liking it over at, uh, goodbadflix.com as well as goodbadflix on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Facebook. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.